Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how's it going? How's the big quiche been? <laughs> big quiche. So for the listeners who won't be aware of, of quiche gate, um, we bought a big quiche. Well, we didn't, have, we didn't buy it specifically for Samuel. We bought it for a New Year's Eve thing, but then it wasn't consumed. So we were stuck with this massive quiche, this massive frozen quiche that we had to defrost and cook. And then we thought Sam was coming around on Friday, so we defrosted the quiche. Only then Sam couldn't come for various reasons. And then we were suddenly stuck with this big quiche. And I realised I didn't like quiche. (laughs) And so we've been begrudgingly having to eat this quiche. Well, Catherine has been having to eat this quiche while I have alternative dinners because I'm that fussy. So, yeah, we are very much living in the shadow of the quiche (laughs) at the moment. Yeah, that's my favourite of the uh, Eidos trilogy of Tomb Raider games, the shadow of the quiche. Um, (laughs) uh, So, yeah, it's... um, it's interesting because I did want to come over and take some quiche off your hands, but I thought it might just be weird to be like, Matthew, can I come over, have a kilo of quiche, and then walk off with it? And then, like, yeah. there's no other interaction. I just come to your door, yeah. collect it from your porch, then leave. Is that too strange? Are we not at that point in our friendship where we can do that? I feel like quiche should be the reward for, like, <laughs> hanging out with us, you know? <laughs> yeah, you don't just like, get you it. You talk to yeah. us, and then you have some quiche. If you just came and we just sort of handed over some quiche... <laughs> like some sort of secret spy deal. Right. I think that would have been odd. I do like the idea of incentivizing me to like hang out with you. Like uh, you don't need to do that, you know what I mean? Like the, your company <laughs> alone is enough. But um hey, but the additional buy your buy your love with savory snacks. <laughs> so you have like one of those stamp card systems where it's like you come around three times you get a slice of quiche, you come around 10 times you get a whole quiche, something like that. That's actually that's a great idea. <laughs> that would make interactions a lot more fun. I wish people I wish friends had loyalty cards. <laughs> Uh, I think it would incentivize people to hang out more, but um, yeah, I suppose it would be a little bit too transactional, perhaps. Something to think about. Yeah, unless it's a complete bomb, unless it ends up being the um, Bath Oktoberfest or whatever it was, or friend loyalty systems, but no one engages with it. (laughs) Or you engage with it like I did, and then they don't give you a fucking prize at the end when you're like, you're keeping this fucking dead, dead horse going, you know what I mean? Um, me, me, me and my friend Andrew properly propped up Bartoma Fest. I'm fucking livid about that. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad we can carry that bitterness into 2023. I think so. Uh, speaking of bombs, anyway, um, welcome back to a predictions episode of the Backpage Podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what nice. a segue. Yeah, nice. I've been working on that. Ever since people pointed out to me that there was a great segue opportunity I completely squandered in the RPG Companions draft, I've been like, oh, fuck, I've got to t- pick my battles more. I actually did set that up as a segue, too. I know. And then didn't I ramble about some fucking nonsense for five minutes instead uh that's like oh uh, that's fine that's exactly that's why we're fine. not on radio one matthew um that and the fact that we know nothing about modern music but um yes so anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while now will know that we do two predictions episodes a year we do one at the start of the year then one at the end of the year to see how we did me and matthew come up with like basically half the list each um we do 20 this year we're doing 23 predictions to 2023 and uh, yeah, it's basically a chance to look forward. Um, it's an episode that's like not particularly heavy on um, research for us, or you know, you don't have to play a game for forty hours, so it's a bit light touch, I suppose. So we enjoy yeah. we enjoy putting them together. Matthew, how are you feeling about doing another predictions episode? I feel like every year you tell me, "Oh, my predictions are shit. This sucks," kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is just nonsense pulled out my ass. Like I, I don't want people to think that they're getting some kind of inside skinny on anything <laughs> here. You know, I'm not an analyst. Also, the kind of stuff people do predict isn't the kind of trends 
we're typically interested in mm. you know like if, if you were going to make some reasonable predictions they would probably be more like business related rather than just complete shots in the dark about how certain things will turn out i always think the episode where we go back to the predictions is the good one <laughs> so like you almost have to kind of eat your vegetables <laughs> here to have pudding in, de- in december in december <laughs> So it's like I it's like I owe you one good episode in December uh, in return for listening to this. There you go. There's a classic back page frankness there. Um just like shooting the uh killing the episode behind a barn before it's even begun. It's good. P- putting this next to mailbag. I mean the contempt for the listener is unreal. Well, well it's because I've it's because I've got COVID. I need to fucking recover. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We needed this. Yeah, we did. We needed this at the start of the year. They're they're two like risky episodes to me. Do you think that's the drop off in audience will be enormous? And then uh, actually, you know what? Our listenership was slightly up um, for the last thirty days. It's like it's nearing like thirty thousand downloads in a month for the first time ever. So I don't wow. know, Matt. It seems like a good time to kill that audience, if you ask me. And um, <laughs> yeah, by a mailbag combined with uh, whatever this fucking nonsense. Well, I think people are putting up with this because they know that there'll be the game of the year 2014, which should probably be good. Yeah, I, oh yeah, that will be. And also the um, the XL episode on Rockstar Open World Games Ranked, that'll be beefy too. So that was mm. my thinking. Um, build the schedule around the two beefy ones. I think people enjoy the predictions anyway. Uh, mm. Do I know that? Do I have any evidence to back that up? I don't think I do. But <laughs> hey, what can you do? Got Games Court coming up as well. That's more contempt for the listener, Matthew. This is uh, yeah. great January. Contempt January is a theme for the month. Um, (laughs) so yes um, how this works then is yeah we'll alternate uh, sort of doing different predictions for the year Um, there is no sort of inside skinny that we have as a result so there's no insight here it's just a load of bullshit Um, but quite fun bullshit I hope so I suppose Matthew I will ask you one sort of question to set the scene how are you feeling about the gaming landscape for 2023 did you look at the the schedule and were you like hmm this is going to be a good year for Matthew Castle and Matthew Castle related games it's a good back page podcast year, I think. There's a lot of stuff we like or resonate with or stuff which is sort of related to things we've loved in the past. It feels like it should be a good a good year for us. I mean, it kind of came out of 2022, sort of surprised that most of my playing time had kind of gravitated towards slightly smaller or more uh, unusual esoteric fare. You know, was it just a, a, a bad AAA year or... Have I sort of fallen out of love a little bit with AAA? And this is the year to put that to the test because it's like it comes none more AAA than the mega blockbusters that are lined up. This feels like all the stuff which stumbled or slowed down because the pandemic is kind of happening again. I think it's like um, I can I can't quite tell just from a cursory glance, for example, what the indie darlings of this year will be. Like I can't quite figure that out, but. Um, Certainly, when it comes to yeah, big blockbusters, it is quite uh, quite an array of stuff coming out. There's uh, a lot of potential for it to be a good year. This finally feels like the year that the pandemic catch up has happened, and there's stuff scheduled throughout the year. You know, you know, there's like a Star Wars game in March. There's uh, you know, a potentially cursed Harry Potter game out in I don't know. I think that's March or February. Can't remember now. I think it's February. You've got Dead Space remake in January. You've got Final Fantasy 16 in June. You've got uh, I think Suicide Squad in may it's like basically just stuff all the time it's going to be like quite starfield redfall like both in the first half of this year apparently i thought you said garfield um and i was like (laughs) i did say garfield (laughs) did you really bethesda's garfield (laughs) yeah it's like you play garfield landing on an infinite number of planets that's uh yeah (laughs) and just being slightly nonplussed with all of them right then 
So we've got 23 predictions between us. I've got 12. Matthew's got 11. Am I going first, Matthew? Is that what we agreed? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Let's cook, baby. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try more catchphrases like that in the podcast in the new year. Just kind of give it a bit of like mm. bit of zhuzh, you know what I mean? Um, okay. Uh, I'm not really. It's a joke. Like, don't don't, <laughs> don't unsubscribe. It, I promise I won't. <laughs> I regret it immediately. First up, Machine Games Indiana Jones game is revealed this year and features the voice of Harrison Ford. And it's set across many years in Indy's career. And they use some kind of ILM, THX bullshit to change Harrison Ford's voice to make him sound young um, in some parts of the game. So I think that, like, <laughs> there's a lot here. But I think because, as for the reveal of this this Indiana Jones game that we know Machine Games are making, the creators of the most recent Wolfenstein games, that was, I think it was first revealed in 2020. It's been a while now. And... Obviously, there's a Indiana Jones film out this year, Dial of Destiny. You know what will likely be the last Indiana Jones film. I mean, Jesus, how how much longer is Harrison Ford going to be able to do this shit? That's you know, <laughs> an open question. Um, I feel like at some point in that film marketing campaign, they'll probably reveal the game. And I think one way they can truly set this game apart from the other Indiana Jones games is instead of having a good sound alike, they get the actual man to do it. And because Lucasfilm has been big on. Uh, you know, ILM, I think it is, has been big on like de-aging actors for various appearances in, you know, The Mandalorian and things like that. I think there's potential for them to try and do something like this where it feels like a legitimate Indiana Jones thing and um, the Harrison Ford factor just brings that extra level to it. I could see Bethesda doing something like this. They kind of like using big voice actors in their games on occasion. Um, what do you mm. think of this one, Matthew? This is uh, also one of my predictions. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of it is. Uh, pretty much. I, well, I wrote, uh, Indiana Jones games will be revealed to be a first-person adventure. It will have its own original story, uh, which is rumoured to be set after Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is apparently one of the bits of information that's out there, but will include recreations of famous set pieces from the other films, it will use AI technology to recreate young Harrison Ford's voice. Wow. Wow. We are so fucking in sync, man. Um, <laughs> I think we're just in sync of like what we want to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's it. These are predictions, but they're kind of like a wish list, really. Um, yeah, basically. Yeah. It's, it's, we should call this 2023 wishes and then how many wishes came true at the end of the year. <laughs> it's interesting this because there's been like little drips of information kind of over the last year in terms of, I think, Todd Howard said... He was quite heavily involved with this and had kind of pitched, you know, he'd, he'd wanted to make an Indiana Jones game for a long time and had pitched it to LucasArts like 10 years ago. I think also, didn't they say that the lead developer or the lead mind behind Riddick and the Darkness from Starbreeze has like come back to machine games okay. um, to head this up, which would suggest it's going to be in a similar immersive first person, you know, like you, where you really feel your body and you can sort of see how the Riddick model would make for a good Indiana Jones game. The physicality of capturing, like, the whip or a fist fight or those set pieces where you're kind of clambering around stuff, you could see that being great with the, the whole machine games slash Starbreeze thing. So, yeah, I, whether or not we do see it this year, I don't know, but I, I would think that's what it will be when we finally see it. Yeah, I do think that like in, uh, Harrison Ford is maybe slightly more compliant with stuff like this than he used to be. Like he he seems mm. a bit more up for things maybe than he did like twenty years ago or so, where it would have seemed impossible to get him to yeah. return for a game. The voice is important though. I think that 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 would sort of like mark it out from the other Indiana Jones games. 
but they would. I don't want to hear old Harrison Ford coming out of young Indiana Jones' mouth. <laughs> yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a balance to be done there. But um, I agree that there's something like this just seems uh, seems. <laughs> well, to be honest, you know, like I say it seems like they have no idea, but I think it probably would happen in terms of the timing of this year as well. You are looking at um, so the last game that. Well, the last Wolfenstein, full Wolfenstein game that Machine Games made alone was uh, the New Colossus in 2017. It's a long time ago now. And so you uh, after that, you had Youngblood, the co-op sequel that came out in 2019, which was a slightly smaller game. So this really feels like the year. Four years is surely the right time frame for something mm. like this to sort of break cover. Um, yeah, I really can't wait. It's like, uh, I think it's number one on my predictions list because it's, it's like the game I want to see the most. You know what I mean? I can kind of imagine what it is in my head, but I want to wanted to see it because it's going to uh, going to kick ass could be a massive Bethesda year couldn't it um mm. okay good that's funny well we, we've wiped out um two predictions in one there so that's good well that's all right so i think i think i had one more than i actually needed so oh perfect that's good um so what's your next what's your first one matthew my first one is uh i think we'll see a similar some of these are going to sound a bit like last year predictions because many of them didn't come true and <laughs> i still think they will happen right. but i've tried to like move the thinking along a bit mm-hmm. I think uh, in the way that we saw Konami announce like a big new Silent Hill push, I think we will see a um, a similar rush of game announcements around Castlevania from Konami. Mm. I think within those, we'll see a collection of the DS games ported so that they can be played outside of the DS sort of a follow-up to the advanced collection but they'll need a bit more work because there was some like ds touchscreen stuff that you'll need to remove so that's dawn of sorrow portrait of ruin and uh, order of ecclesius i think we'll see together i think we'll see a new 2d castlevania made outside konami working with a big studio now originally i'd put down would they go back to like mercury steam but actually i think mercury steam who made the Lords of Shadow for Konami are kind of accounted for in terms of what they're working on. Then I thought, what about Moon Studio, who made Ori? But again, they already seem tied up with another thing. Then I thought, oh, what about the Game Kitchen, who made Blasphemous? But they've already announced their next thing. I think they're making Blasphemous 2 for Team 17. Mm. So um, I was hoping to have like a really cool indie studio to pair up with this <laughs> this proposed game yeah. but i don't have one for it I, I, only on the back of what was surprising about the silent hill announcements was the, the fact they were working with no code on that game i thought oh maybe they're really open to like giving this stuff out to like s- sort of smaller interesting studios you just match the material really well so i still think 2d castlevania not a konami team look out for it i also think they'll do some i think they'll make a game this is really vague um i think off the back of the netflix show which people really loved and it kind of created i think an interest in like the lore and kind of characters of castlevania more so than the actual than the games have probably succeeded themselves Mm. and i wonder if they might make something which is a bit more like a narrative or like character led i didn't want to say there will be a castlevania visual novel right (laughs) Uh, but i think there will be something that leans into the kind of the the reawakened fan interest in the kind of characters Hmm. of the older castlevania games whatever that will be i don't know yeah i think that's kind of plausible um i suppose like the thing is you could say this the same sort of like Oh, is a is a revival on the cards for Metal Gear as well. I think that was one of our predictions last year, um, or maybe even the year before. I don't remember. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's like it's that thing of 
I suppose how much can it make at once? How much will it make at once? Will it prioritize Silent Hill because it thinks it's a banker? But I agree with you that like surely the Netflix series is indication to Konami that there is more to be done with this. Um, you know, those I assume that those like repackages they've done of all the different Castlevania games have done well because they've kept doing them, haven't they? They've kept putting them out. Yeah. Um, and like, are the DS ones the only real like classics left to be put into a package like that, Matthew? I know there's the N64 ones, but yeah. Unless they went down the route of like the 3D Castlevanias, which basically haven't lived outside of you know like N64 or PS2. Mm. You know, um, can you go to bat for one of those on this podcast? I went to bat for the N64. I, th- I think the N64 one is like a very early example of a good 7 out of 10. Right, yeah. It's a bit janky and a bit fucked, but it's like super interesting and really memorable. Mm. And it's full of like a lot of, I would say, quite iconic stuff. I have a fondness for them, but I, I do wonder if they're just too ass <laughs> and like generally unloved to kind of create much of a thing. Where the DS games, like, they were, they were like, uh, not necessarily like mega sales successes, but they were like critically acclaimed. They were loved mm. and anticipated, you know, and the only reason that stopped is because Koji Igarashi leaves Konami and they haven't made another one of those since. Uh, there was that one that was on Apple Arcade. I've not played that. I think they did like a mobile 2D Castlevania, mm-hmm. um, but I have like no idea if that's good or not. <laughs> the fact no one talks about it would suggest not. Yeah, there's also the... Um... I suppose like the thing with the DS ones is that those are like considered pretty much classics, or at least a couple of them are, right? And like, um, was it the first two that you liked, and you didn't like the third one? I, I really liked Dawn of Sorrow. I, I I'm less I'm less keen on the other two. People are really into Order of Ecclesiastes. I think Portrait of Ruin is a, is a bit of a duffer, mm. but after Dawn of Sorrow, that is. But if you bundled the three of these up, I would be very very happy. Yeah, they are like a beautiful pixel art as well. Just like you know, waiting mm. um, waiting to be sort of put onto one platform. So. Yeah, I hope that that happens, uh, Matthew, for the, the same reason. Um, so you say that uh, Mercury Steamer accounted for. Do you, uh, have they like alluded to making another Metroid, or have they got some other thing they're doing? I think they're making something for 505 games, right. maybe. Okay. I think they've got a publishing deal with them. I just think that they, they've, like, particularly with like Metroid Dread, really sort of, sort of marked their territory mm. uh, in this particular genre. Um like they they they're good for it. I I know I loved the the two D Mirror of Fate that they did. I thought that I thought that was that was really really solid. Mm, um, I'm just thinking, yeah. I just thinking if I was looking outside, you know, if I don't if I no longer had my two D Castlevania team internally, which they don't appear to really have. You know, you're like, what's your dream? You know, who would I like to work with? Who would you love this to happen? Because there's the Castlevania um, Dead Cells DLC. Which you'd say, like, well, that would be a great fit. You know, Castlevania is a great fit for that team, but they already have that that expansion. I don't really see that being a dry run for them making a a, a standalone Castlevania game. Yeah, uh, that yeah, that 3DS Castlevania was like a, a, a real stepping stone on the way to a Metroid Dread, wasn't it? Really, like it's yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I fucking hope there was a Metroid Dread sequel being made by that team. Um, you'd think so, right? Because it did so well. But uh, who knows? They might have a couple of different teams there. Uh, Mercury Steam, who knows, Matthew? But I suppose yeah. we'll see. But um, yeah, okay, I do agree with you that that is the most likely route, though, to a new Castlevania being made is them just finding a developer who's the right fit yeah. um, for it. Yeah, um, and I, yeah, I didn't go into the Metal Gear stuff just because I feel like if we do see anything Metal Gear, the the rumors are pretty, they're pretty standard stuff. It's like remakes and remasters, and that's all fine. But like that 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 Silent Hill 
batch of announcements just really took me by surprise by like how ambitious and interesting it all sounded. Mm, yeah. And it's I just want to see that applied to like something else I love, so Castlevania. Yeah. Which of those, by the way, do you think is going to come out first this year? Like um, all first generally the Silent Hill oh, games. Hard to say. It's probably isn't it the it's probably the Blue Patine Silent Hill two. It, you think it did look the most fur- the furthest along, didn't it? Um, yeah, and also just to kind of like, if if any of that's going to stoke like wider interest or maybe like press reset a bit, you'd think that's that's like the most mainstream of all the things they're doing. Yeah, you know? that's true. Um, it's been quite a while since um, No Code's last game, Observation, came out though, right? As well, so that could yeah. that could sneak up. You know, that was yeah. Like... I mean, I, I will I will happily happily take mm. that whenever. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it'll end up being the pick of the bunch. Okay, good, good prediction, Matthew. So my next one is a near automata sequel is revealed this year, and it's the best game Platinum has made since Vanquish. Um, <laughs> bold swing here. So you and I have speculated before that the Astral Chain guy is the one working on a near automata sequel, right? I think that's something that we've had we've discussed before because there is a big project that he's working on that is you know that they have teased in the in the various VGC interviews that Andy Robinson's done, um, Platinum, and uh, I think that like. Because they put the um, they put Neo Automata on Switch last year, and the fact that the, the series remains consistently popular, there's an anime that's just launched on Crunchyroll, for example. I think that we must be at the point where they're ready to talk about this. Like maybe it'll be something mm-hmm. like revealed around E3 time, maybe towards the end of the year. But there has to be a Neo Automata sequel. It's money on the table. Um, that previous game is, I think, something like six years old at this point. I, I, it's got to happen, and it's got to be super ambitious. It's got to be like gotta be like a mega mega sequel um I, I, so yeah this is the again i guess from the samuel roberts wish list but it does seem like there has to be more to near than just a remake of the original um which is all they've done yeah. since automata so the, and, yeah and that yeah. wasn't platinum either so it's not like that was distracting them from mm. making whatever they could be making exactly so yes i think that like near automata i think something you can say about it is it's a game that where you can see the seams somewhat. It's not like, um, you know, when you compare the the budget of it to something like an Assassin's Creed, you can obviously see that Nier is compromised in different ways, like the, the, the kind of bare-bones way that some of the environments feel, that sort of thing. But obviously no one would argue it doesn't have an amazing amount of kind of like spirit and personality. That's the kind of real magic of it. But the idea that they could kind of go go and make something that's actually that actually feels like on a, on you know comparable to a final fantasy or something in terms of scale that that feels like where this is going to me where it's like you know near automata was the stepping stone and this is like the big blockbuster um now matthew i know you have you've not really played the original that much have you um which is interesting because i thought it would be your sort of thing but uh how do you feel about this prediction what near automata yeah did you Finish that? Yeah, I've not mined all the alternate endings and things. Mm. Um, I've played through it a couple of times. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I did. Yeah, I really liked what I played of it. But I completely get where you're coming from in terms of the, there's sort of room for improvement. Like when they made it, it was a bit of a gamble. The perception is that it is bigger than they thought it was going to be. Oh yeah. And so that you can head into a sequel with more confidence and more budget and and tighten up. That all that all makes perfect sense to me. Any world where Mr. Papier-Mâché head gets to do lots of weird trailers and press conferences is always good. You know, gaming needs its eccentrics, yeah. um, and every, it's it's quite well behaved at the moment. So the idea of having a yeah that that kind of slightly loopy weirdo doing his thing that's cool. I'm on board with that. Yep, it's uh, just sold seven million copies. Near Automata. Yeah, that's like a true, a very rare blockbuster breakout 
uh, these days. Yeah. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, and I remember before that came out, that came out like not being mega confident in it. I was like, ah, you know, near. I was, you know, we've discussed near before. I think it came up on game review scores. We got wrong the original near. And you and I didn't um, didn't maybe super dig it like a lot of people did, and then yeah, it was a true a true surprise that this was as good as it was. So mm. yeah, this is this is the time. This is the time for a near Automata sequel. So that's my prediction. What's your next one, Matthew? There will be a Super Mario movie tie-in game. Uh, this is one of mine too. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> well, my prediction is it will be the next two D Mario, <gasps> not a three D Mario. So is mine. Mine says. Oh. Mine is New Super Mario Bros. returns in time for the Mario movie dropping. Mario movie dropping, which is a three-star joint at most. That was my prediction. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't done much thinking beyond that it would be 2D. It just made sort of sense to me, the kind of trappings of it. I think what they're pulling from is, is more Miyamoto Mario than necessarily like the wild imagination of what was EAD Tokyo Mario. You know, mm. the film doesn't have like big you know galaxy or odyssey vibes it's quite trad mushroom kingdom stuff i think it would be a bit of a waste to take the 3d mario team i agree and make them work in that world which is the more kind of like iconic but better behaved mario world they're better working kind of on the sort of fringes of their imagination <laughs> hard hard agree hard agree would it be a mario game which has the voices from the films i don't know if nintendo would ever do that but maybe aping the story or like taking us to the particular kingdoms or locations that you see in that film i could just i could just see them like why wouldn't they want to capitalize on that because you get the feeling that you know, however that film works out quality wise it's gonna be a monster Mm. the buzz and excitement and the way nintendo are talking about it they're treating it in quite a classy way yes it's very easy to dunk on the voice cast and the casting of it that's all fine whatever but um it really has the feel of like this could be a film that makes a billion dollars to me yeah i do agree with you and i think they're like whatever else you want to say about it the animation quality looks incredible like it's you know Mm. it does look like it was signed off by nintendo you know it doesn't look like they just took the license and made their own thing um so yeah i think as a kind of like authentic feeling product in in many ways it will it will you know it will please people and uh yeah well you know will it be a good film probably not i i don't think so um because i think most kids animated films are are shit these days yeah i don't think it'll be good but i do agree that as like a kind of a place to sort of launch a new 2d mario game it seems perfect i could see them doing something like where maybe you um you get like a a kind of dlc with the film characters or like a you know it's like an optional mode or you can switch on movie mario or something like that when you're um right you know if it's a new super mario bros game it could be co-op and you could oh you could pick regular mario or movie mario that sort of thing um and it's something like a 2d mario game feels like a good place to sort of isolate all of that like you say um but yeah you know i'm not um i think we've talked before about how neither of us are like big 2d mario people anymore but uh yeah, I do think I do think that something like this tying into it is spot on. Like, yeah, they can say you know we've got um, the you know new Super Mario Bros. Wii U have, like here repackage if you want to go buy that. But it seems much more likely they'd launch a new product off the back of it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, you'd think so. Mm. Um, I, what I don't want to see is them do it with um, Chris Pratt voiceover and then Charles Martinet releases an 18 minute video that was looked like it was filmed on his phone looks like a hostage video of him slamming chris pratt and how he was done like <laughs> done over by nintendo that would be awkward yeah i don't i don't think that will happen um but dropping uh, but dropping bible references as he goes. 
<laughs> well, what a, what an One image. of the most cursed artifacts of 2022, <laughs> that video. What an image of the uh, a man you, that you paint here. Um, that's uh, that's really something. The, uh, the the star of the prologue of the game uh, was starring Michael Douglas, Matthew. How can you uh, say such a thing? Uh, yeah, okay, good. Good, I, I agree with you. Um, I suppose they'd have to announce that pretty soonish, right? Because the film's out in June or July or something. So they'd have to be like, oh yeah, yeah. here it is. Here's the game. But, um, you know, that's not inconceivable for a 2D Mario, is it? Okay, next prediction. Uh, Suicide Squad kills the Justice League, radiates bad vibes until the last minute, but ends up being a game of the year contender. Um, <laughs> so yes... <laughs> radiates bad vibes. <laughs> well, it it does a little bit, right? Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because like the two of the lead devs have just gone. They're like, see ya. We're gonna do something else. Um, which is yeah. a really awkward message to put out there. The the fact that the Suicide Squad, I kind of like the the journey that that IP, I hate, which I hate saying, has been through since they started working on that game of a terrible David Ayer movie, a kind of fun James Gunn movie that absolutely bombed. And now it kind of like feeling like the Suicide Squad have no cultural cachet at all. Um, mm. And like, it's a weird environment to launch a game into. That's not, not Rocksteady's fault, obviously. But when I was watching the the trailer for um, when they revealed Kevin Con- the late Kevin Conroy playing Batman in December, which was a good trailer, the character interactions just had very 2016 energy to it. You know what I mean? Like it was, there was something mm. about it. But you have to remember that these are like the these are absolute masters of cinematic action gameplay like that they are so good at this shit and they have waited years and years to make this um really put the time in and i don't think they'll put something out that's disappointing i think this could be really really impressive even if the tone maybe takes some getting used to so that's Mm. the thing what i'm saying is don't count out rocksteady um Mm. yeah it's been a long time coming but i don't think this is going to be like another gotham knights i think this is actually this will actually be proper legit what do you think matthew I could see that. I mean, uh, I've seen the the little gameplay bits they've put out. I've, I I don't think I've watched any of them twice. It was like, oh, okay, I can sort of see what that is. I think the thing they've got in their advantage is that yes, the the James Gunn one was definitely better than the first one, but I still don't think there's like a definitive Suicide Squad that exists in many people's heads. Hmm. You know, it's not like this game is competing with a, a, a huge. It's not competing with the success of a film which is what has happened with Marvel a couple of times now. Avengers, people compared it, went, eh, don't, you know, prefer the films. Guardians of the Galaxy, the game had its own voice and did those characters, you know, as well as the films, maybe. Mm. But I still think, like, the stink of the film's success kind of got in the way. This doesn't have that, so maybe that will will work in its favour. People don't have those preconceptions. Like, I I, I like their version of the Batman universe. Mm. I thought was absolutely fantastic. So, you know, I have confidence in their, like, character work and how they represent these characters. I have no skin in the game when it comes to Suicide Squad, really. But I think that'll be, like, a big defining factor is whether people can get over the what is the correct version of the Suicide Squad. And maybe it'll become this game. Who knows? I think it'll help that they have, like, you know, the entire Justice League as basically boss characters throughout this. Um, That alone could give it, like, quite, you know, quite a tonal distinction. Yeah, and that's a great hook. Mm. You know, the idea of you have to take down the most iconic characters of all time. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and some of them I don't think they've shown yet either. I think they've just shown Batman, Flash, and maybe Superman. Have they shown a bit of Wonder Woman? I don't think they have, actually. So, you know, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of potential there. And I agree that, like, if anyone can sort of overcome the sort of baggage of, you know, um, sort of like an on-screen version potentially, like, overshadowing the game version is Rocksteady because they did it before Mm. anyone, right? Like, like you say, that's 
the Batman games released um, you know amid the most critically acclaimed Batman films ever made and and still managed to stand out so yeah mm. um, I do agree with you that's a good call mm. what's your next prediction Matthew my next prediction oh and this is really lazy and this is just ripped off the internet of something that probably will happen <laughs> Um, Good start. Which is uh, the uh, Kid Icarus Uprising mm-hmm. switch port will will happen. Uh, my wish is that that would lead to to uh, another Kid Icarus game from Sakurai. Obviously, this year he gave a sort of sly nod to an Uprising port. Where at the end of one of his YouTube channel videos, he went, "Wouldn't it be nice if someone ported Kid Icarus Uprising?" Uh, which, yeah. given the fact that those videos are put through Nintendo checking and everything you think well would they let him say that if he if he wasn't thinking it or it wasn't happening especially because those videos are like um here's a review of my cat and then at the end he's like by the way Kid Icarus is being remade kind of thing <laughs> um so that's yeah that 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 makes sense um Namco Bandai have apparently been hiring for a team working on a remaster of a 3D action game for Nintendo if that's not this, I have no idea what it is. Surely they couldn't be remastering the Bandai Star Fox game <laughs> Assault. Um, that would be like that would be the maddest thing to happen. I just could, that just can't be a thing that happens. <laughs> oh, I do like that idea. Doshing the Giants gets uh, redone. Um, yeah, it doesn't really count as an action game, I suppose. I would I, like that. I'd be up for, but their their Star Fox, nah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted something that was probably going to happen on my list. That's good. Yeah, it's good to get to the end of the year and be like, oh, yeah, I got one thing right, like I did with Yakuza last year. So, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get you. Yeah. And it's a thing I'd like to happen. You know, Uprising, fantastic game. I do think, for me, some of its appeal does lie in the fact that it was the all-singing, all-dancing 3DS game and, like, did 3D amazingly well. And I'd be interesting how it held up. Uh, without the 3D because it's also quite a portable experience you know it's quite bitty levels it's quite short bursts of fun so I don't know if it would lose something or you'd have to like modify it in some way um you know he he has in his videos and other interviews Sakurai has talked about things he would change with that game in the past Mm. the idea of something which maybe takes a bit of a hammer to it and does something a bit more with it um, particularly like the on-foot sections, which are a little bit long um, compared to the the fun of the the aerial shooting sections. I, I you know, th- there's potential for more there. I think that it would be nice to see us excavated because we discussed this before. But this, um, the original Kid Icarus Uprising, released when the 3DS wasn't doing so hot, and so it actually never became like a mega mega seller. Um, it kind of like I don't think it even got put in one of those like players' choice style lines, so you always had to buy a full price basically. So um, yeah, I think that that is that that means that it's still quite underplayed. Um, I do honestly like I, I, it's so synonymous this one with touchscreen control. I, I I just can't I can't really picture exactly how you make it as compelling without that. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, but then you know it, again, like this this there is probably some version of this that does work. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just think the original control scheme was more him trying to come up with a solution to the fact that the 3DS didn't have dual analog sticks. Yeah, I suppose you know? that's fair. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I can sort of see how, you know, lots of people have said, why why isn't there a mode on this that just lets you, you know, on a new 3DS or whatever, use the analog nubbin to aim it or whatever. We, we shall see. But it was a, a cool game. Like, I've said this before, but like, weirdly, Western in its feel, like, action-wise, like, the pacing, it's a very cinematic game for a Nintendo first-party game. Like, the story and the voice acting and the, the volume of, like, cinematic happenings is, is quite unusual. Yeah. Is it? Oh, it's classic! Oh, the soundtrack to this game is is unreal. It is so good because mm. um, they did basically sort of did what they did with Smash Brothers, where they got loads of composers in to like work on different tracks. Mm. So there's always different musical styles, but like big band versions of the Kid Icarus themes are just super, super jolly. It was obviously the dialogue was written by that that f- fun, funny man of twitter and america Mike trucker yeah that's the one a legit funny game this so yeah yes please that's good okay i'm excited for the um uh, third re-release of um pocken tournament from um namkai bandai <laughs> instead of this um so that should be good <laughs> okay mm. <laughs> i can picture myself being in an e3 conference hall when something like pocken tournament the third remaster gets announced <laughs> and just the room being like <laughs> yeah proper like um gamecube era pac-man e3 room vibes kind of thing also like the idea that every time matthew um predicts something on this you've got me at the end g- giving it like a b- horrible reality check and pitching something much worse just not really good a good good sportsmanship is it um okay so my next one oh is this a boring one i think it is actually i do apologize in advance um the Oculus Quest 3 is released this year with some killer games and marks a breakthrough in VR adoption, but the reveal is weighed down by some metaverse nonsense no one wants. So, mm. I think that the release of PSVR 2 is going to accelerate like Meta's plans to release a new standalone VR headset. The Oculus Quest 2 is a really great bit of hardware, but I think it's going to be I think it'll be like 3 or 4 years old by the by next year. Um so the idea of them making something that can handle more Graphically intensive games, as VR developers are, you know, starting to focus their attention more on that type of stuff. Um, with PSVR 2, seems quite plausible to me. Um, I think the headset would be more expensive in order to to do the things that it does, which is potentially a, a, something that could put people off. But I think that like now, Meta has a, a, accumulated enough sort of big-ish studios like Ready at Dawn and the um, developers of Asgard's Wrath and um, the Iron Man VR developers that they it seems plausible to me that they could have quite a bumper crop of stuff ready for a new VR launch and this could be the year when it happens. So I think this will be a this will be a, like a key year for VR in terms of like it'll either really really happen this year or it won't happen. But I think that people will kind of be mm. up for it um because it it will kind of I think like VR is starting to be counter programming to regular games and how they work because the stuff that you play in VR does not tend to be like 10 to 12 hour stuff or you know open world games that last for 40 hours that sort of thing they kind of mm. kind of exist as its own thing sort of like almost like how the the Wii existed alongside the 360 and the PS3 mm. you know um, I think mm. there's I think there's something in that but at the same time meta is still obsessed with metaverse stuff that I, I can just see them being like oh yeah you can play games with it but also you can become a a, a poorly rendered avatar and to walk around these cursed virtual worlds like that that's like my only fear for it. It's like we'll be like, yeah, and then like, ah, oh, please stop, um, kind of thing. So, because um, Zuckerberg can't help himself, but who knows, Matthew? We will see. Um, any thoughts on this boring prediction of mine? Uh, no, well, I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw in my VR-related prediction. Mm-hmm. 
I sort of agree. I, th- I think this will. I think this will definitely be a bumpy year. I think the key to it is that someone will allow there to be a, a, a subscription service of some kind on one of the VR platforms, and that will be the key to unlocking it. Because the the problem I have with it, and I think the problem a lot of people have with it, is you look at how cheap and readily available games are on like traditional platforms. Then you look at VR games; they are shorter, but you know, they still require a lot of effort to make, a lot of developers to make them. They're still quite expensive. I think there's a bit of a pound per hour issue, whether or not there should be. I think there is. So I think someone who kind of gets on top of the idea of, like, buying into VR with with a, with a subscription game service, it will work wonders. I think that could come from a couple of places. I think Sony could be quite canny and work VR stuff into PS Plus which would put them in a good place. My, my, my PSVR experience was I bought a headset, bought the Batman game, played it, and then didn't ever buy anything else ever again. And I, th- I think you need a sort of like a reason to keep it in play, and, and something like that would work. Microsoft are already working with Meta in that Game Pass is coming to MetaQuest in the form of xCloud streaming so that you can stream and play things that would be available through streaming like in a bit like how you could watch a film in a virtual theater mm. they're not making vr games but they're making a way for you to see your games in vr right. if that makes sense it doesn't take a huge leap to go well what happens if they did bundle up some popular vr games into game pass and we're allowed to run those on MetaQuest? That would be really appealing to me. I can buy one of these headsets, and then by having this subscription I already have, I have access to 15 VR games. Or Meta themselves, you know, do basically like an Apple Arcade and find a way to bundle up some some older stuff. Um, I think the people who have to watch out for it the most is PSVR 2, just because none of the old games work on it again. Because you're starting from scratch. That's quite a big ask, I think, of people who've invested once already in PSVR. So something to lighten the load of that and go, here, you will always have something to play on us. I, that that would really speak to me. Again, it's a wish list rather than a, a, a piece of industry analysis. <laughs> so there is actually like there is actually a VR subscription service that exists if you play on PC. Um, Viveport, it's called. It's basically like what? Well, HD... see, this is how poorly researched this episode <laughs> is. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's easy to miss because it's a PC VR thing, only thing. And so, obviously, you can't use it with a Quest 2, which is, you know, probably the best-selling VR headset. Um, maybe PSVR is higher, but I don't think so. You know, there is, um, there is like, precedent for this. You basically get a 1,000-plus VR titles when you subscribe to this thing, and it's, like, twelve ninety nine a month, which is oh, pretty good. Well, but um, This makes me look very dumb, Sam. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because there is no version of this on the MetaQuest 2. You do have to buy all the games, like you say, and it's... You know, it's, right. it is arguably quite costly. Um, they do quite a few sales, and uh, if you if you can, you wait a little bit. Like I got, I think thirty percent off that Iron Man VR game, and it only came out in October. So um, they they will do sales and get Resi Four for a good price these days. But I agree with you. I think something like that is is key because um, it feels it feels dear somehow to drop the same amount on a game for VR that you would for like a Nintendo Switch game for whatever reason that is and I think it's because like however you look at it the VR headset is kind of like buying a peripheral a fancy peripheral so your upfront costs are already pretty high no matter how you do it so yeah the idea of something that that is like yeah more of a subscription based service does seem like it would make sense um this seems like something that, that probably that the meta could do when they launch their next VR headset because they have a whole bank of stuff already they can be like 
oh and if you pay 10 quid a month it gives you a reason to keep checking in you know we'll give you all the beat saber dlc if you stay subscribed that sort of thing these companies have to be looking at game pass and thinking how can we do something like this um for vr um mm. here's a bonus prediction um i think that you'll hear more about a valve standalone vr headset this year as well i don't think i imagine this but i think they said that maybe the steam deck was like one step in them thinking more about this about standalone hardware and so yeah it feels like that you know people really fucking like the index as a vr uh, sort of platform but the idea of you could access all of your steam vr games and you know basically use um your headset as like an open sort of platform to access um you know all the vr games you have on different platforms that could really work quite well so mm. yeah i think we've ticked vr off there matthew as a, a bunch of stuff um bunch yeah, of poorly I just research feel bad stuff. for wishing for something that already exists <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't feel too guilty about that. I knew what you meant. It's all good. It's all good. So let's let's uh, swiftly move on. What's the next prediction? Oh, it's a super vague. But, um, <laughs> Starfield will be merely fine, but will be an unusually smooth launch for a Bethesda game, not a cyberpunk-sized shit show. I think we know too little about Starfield to make calls on how good it'll be. I Personally, I think it's just too early. Um, yeah, I just think the stuff they showed of it just doesn't doesn't like massively speak to me. And I just feel the constant pushing back speaks to something where they're like, ah, oh, fuck, we're just going to get it over the finish line. Uh, I don't know. Well, it sounds like the scope of it probably is like, uh, you know, requires fucking hundreds and hundreds of QA people to iron out the kinks, right? Like, that's, that's bound to be part of it. And they were making it over the pandemic as well. So, you know, it's... It, yeah, yeah. I, I, I... Well, quality aside, the thing I was really trying to draw out was more is that I think it is the kind of quality of it or the, the, the kind of performance or whatever of it at launch. I think post-cyberpunk, people won't let that happen again. Right, yeah. It's too damaging. It's too precious a thing. It's too much of a key title to allow that to happen again. And because originally I wrote... <laughs> Starfield will come out and will be a cyberpunk style disaster. But then I thought, actually, no, I don't. I, that isn't what I think will happen. I just, I don't think, it, I don't think it can happen. They'd be mad to let that happen. I love you looking at one of your predictions and going, "No, I disagree with myself," and then changing. I disagree it. with myself. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just surely it couldn't happen again. Um, yeah, I think that's something like. Microsoft have pinned so much on this. Like, basically, they've got away with not making any games last year or releasing any games by just constantly saying Starfield's coming, Starfield's coming. Like, it has to land. Um, someone has already forgot Pentiment, clearly, Matthew. But um... oh. <laughs> <laughs> No offence to Pentiment, all the big Pentiment heads. Um, yeah, you know, the Pentiment Deep massive. into their Bavarian history. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, very good. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think this will be... This will be good. Um, I think that, like, the, the the big thing about all of the different planets, I think that'll basically amount to a new version of the um, Skyrim Radiant Quest system, where you can just go and do infinite numbers of, like, you know, basically, like, fetch quests on planets if you want to. But there are people who will want to do that and just go to a planet that's been, you know, it could be a certain sort of colour or things like that and do some nice digital photography. I think that the exploration aspect of it isn't necessarily tied to the idea that you have to like play it infinitely and do an infinite number of like busy work quests i think it's kind of like they'll tell you where all the key planets are for the story but then you can wander off the beaten path if you want to and find a whole you know universe of stuff out there um i think that could work quite well if like the you know you've got the right guiding hand through the game um mm. sort of hard to get a grip on what the setting is right it's like kind of realistic uh, sort of like a realistic like expanse style 
sci-fi setting maybe you know what i mean where it's like it's it's more going for plausible than star wars you know kind of hard sci-fi bits of it they've shown it feels like a little bit you know how like mass effect one was like a little less kind of overblown yeah it was a little bit more sort of straight and and sort of sort of serious and then it kind of lent more into the kind of poppier characters in the second one i think Mm. i wonder if it'll be a bit like that but um yeah, very very hard to say. What I guess about the quality of the game, but um, I just can't see them allowing this to be to be like a mega like emergency landing. Really. Mm. Uh, speaking of uh, Bethesda stuff, did you see the um, uh, Games Radar interview about Redfall with Harvey Smith? That's quite quite intriguing. Massive. Uh, yeah, it was the one where they sort of said, "Think of it more as Far Cry than Left 4 Dead," right? Yeah, and the, so the play area is gigantic compared to Prey, for example, which was obviously that team's last game. Um, quite Ooh. quite interesting interview, actually, like a rare kind of interview where you shake a developer and a lot comes out, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was quite interesting. So yeah, big big Bethesda year, um, and and therefore a big Microsoft year. Uh, all right, I've got a Starfield-related one coming up, Matthew. I'll save that for a little bit, um, okay. and then we'll come back to it. Um, okay, this is the year Sony hard pivots into making, trying to make big multiplayer games happen. So okay. for a little while, they've been sort of like, I don't want to say threatening, but like certainly brandishing the idea of live service games being a thing they're doing. And like almost like the way it's, it's phrased it almost sounds in opposition to the big single player stuff that Sony has basically built a, a modern console empire on, right? Like this is the stuff that's really defined them. And so there are like, you know, murmurings of like a horizon multiplayer thing, a last of us multiplayer thing. And like, I think the, I think the last of us one is basically confirmed, right? I think there's something like that in the works, like some kind of co-op thing or multiplayer thing. So that is going to happen at some point. I think that Sony wants more skin in this game, basically. And I think that, Whereas if you're like me, you kind of want to see, (laughs) you're absolutely happy to see basically like, you know, two to three massive single player games every year from from Sony. That's fine. Um, This year, I think you'll start to see them push more in a different direction and uh, make multiplayer things happening, which does, uh, I must say, doesn't, I'm not not totally excited about as someone who kind of enjoys a bit of the old single player narrative bits and pieces yeah that i mean that makes sense based on the people they've bought and yeah the rumblings of where they're going does it particularly speak to me no not really um i don't have time in my life for these things <laughs> uh that said to see them like branch out into something you know I, I i find the you know their narrative formula is is beginning to get a little worn out so the idea of doing something and going in a different direction is is like yes thumbs up mm. some of their worlds feel like they could have held different or other games in them you know like they didn't necessarily all have to be you know there's a, like the tension in say like a horizon to be both this very kind of character led thing and also this vast huge open world space you know doesn't always sit together particularly neatly so the idea of just going you were going to set out to make this entirely different thing and where does that take us could be interesting yeah uh, yeah, sounds <laughs> sounds smart. I mean, it sort of sounds like something that we sort of know is coming, really. Yeah, they, they've said that they they consider live service games to be games with no end, and they plan to release twelve such titles by its twenty twenty five fiscal year. So it would it suggest mm. that a bunch of them are, are going to come out this year, right? And it has been a while since a Naughty Dog thing happened. So, uh, yeah, I think this will happen. Yeah, I do agree with you a little bit on the single player front. So you got Spider Man two this year, right? And I think yeah. that is all that's really from them that's kind of known but there, there could be more i suppose we'll see 
we will see the shape of that this year and people will either like it or they won't and then things will kind of go from there really um mm. a very uh very uninteresting prediction from me there what's your next one Matthew? <laughs> oh well speaking of uninteresting predictions <laughs> i owe you one good episode in december <laughs> i owe you one good episode in december remember that <laughs> um I think Netflix games will start to succeed where other mobile subscriptions has failed. Mm. Um, I think it's quite well created as it is. And if they keep that level of quality up, it would be just an interesting library of games anyway. You know, the fact that it has Immortality and Kentucky Route Zero on there, that's kind of interesting. Turtle Shredder Revenge is coming to it as well. So some pretty some pretty decent chunky stuff the big problem it has is like no one knows it exists and no one knows it if they have a netflix subscription they also have access to some quite rad stuff because it's hidden on a mobile app that's a big battle they have to overcome the interesting thing though is like you know they've acquired a few studios and they, they they've worked with some other like biggish names and like netflix has some like pretty pretty juicy kind of franchise stuff that they could they could play in those worlds and have some fun with you know they've made a couple of quite shit Stranger Things, like 16-bit kind of Zelda likes, which are just real, like, phoned-in mobile phone fodder. They have some of the biggest entertainment properties on the planet, so if they were to pair those up with some actual, like, gaming ambition, I think they could make some cool stuff. I'd play a um, Squid Games Zero Escape (laughs) visual novel, (laughs) for sure. That would be rad. Um, You know, I can think of all kinds of fun things, or fun people that you could give franchises to, you know, if they just have a little bit of ambition, and uh, you know, I just feel like Apple Arcade just isn't going anywhere, and the the Android version is just it's very blah. They're kind of I can't even remember what it's called the service that you subscribe to to get access to loads of games, but it's just like all the games you've been playing for the last ten years kind of just shoved together, and it's <laughs> very shapeless. I think Netflix are actually in a position to kind of fill it full of like cool stuff, add cool stuff only they could have, and. The fact that it's tied into a you know a movie subscription service that most people have and you know most people are generally happy with it just feels like the best place for this to succeed. Yeah, the stuff is like I think it's starting to break through. So if you look at Immortality on um, the Netflix, like uh, you know if you click on it in the and it goes to the Play Store and shows you the page, it's been downloaded more than a hundred thousand times, which is not bad because I think it was released a little bit after the. you know the versions on console and pc so yeah. some people are finding this stuff point p um which i did play a little bit last year i must admit i did find it slightly too frustrating point p but that was like an original i, I, I suck at it it's good but i suck at it yeah yeah that's it like it was obviously like very nicely made and stuff and um you know it was cool that they got devolver to make them a you know a, an original game basically but um yeah so good say all the point p heads <laughs> i think scrubs is a big point p head um so Yes, uh, didn't quite do it for me. But yeah, they got like Moonlighter on there as well, right? That game about running a shop. Um, so they kind of like, they are dabbling with this stuff. Um, mm. Is it just on Android you can play this stuff? I only have Android, so yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Because I do kind of wonder if there's a question of like, will you eventually be able to play it natively through the Netflix app on your TV, for example, and then like hook well, up? Well, they the are meant to be experimenting with like streaming games through Netflix. Mm. You know, they've definitely done more experiments with interactive content than like any other streaming service. Yeah, they've also bought the Oxenfree developers, right? Night School. So yeah. that Oxenfree 2 will presumably just launch on Netflix alongside the um, alongside console and PC. So, yeah. I Is could... that not out yet, Oxenfree 2? 
that's meant to be coming out this so, this year. Yeah, but it's not out yet. Fuck me, that game's been in development for so long. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. They made that game about um, running a bar in hell before that, right? That was like a few years oh, ago. Oh, After Party. I didn't like that. I didn't play that one, but like like a you know everyone else, it was like one of the big indies, Oxen Free, wasn't it? When it yeah. launched, it was. It was. I, 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 Netflix bought them and went Oxen Free Two's now Stranger Things game, <laughs> reskin it. <laughs> yeah, it's got a similar tone. Yeah, yeah, well, it definitely does. Yeah, um, you can really see the crossover there. Or, or it's it's Oxen Free Two exactly as it was going to be, except Dustin from Stranger Things is just there. <laughs> And, and, and he has like no real role in the story because it's it's been too too produced and scripted at this point. So he's just there doing his catchphrase and everyone ignores him. <laughs> yeah, just awkward, kind of awkwardly cut in sort of dialogue kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I can see it. I can see it happening. Um, yeah, I think this is. I think it's a solid prediction, Matthew. Every time I look on there, there seems to be slightly more stuff, and I I assume that will continue. It'll be a mix of original things they make and games they get ported to there um it's a bit yeah. odd as a strategy but like because it doesn't you don't have to pay any extra for it i'm kind of on board with it you know and i do agree that like yeah. you don't hear about apple arcade as much right like two years ago i felt like you really heard every time there was a big something on there or you know like an original sakaguchi game or whatever and now you don't hear about it as much i don't know if that means there's fewer titles on there yeah. but you know <laughs> They're sort of filling it with these like plus versions of pre-existing games because one of the things you can only be on there if you haven't got like microtransactions or whatever. So people are making versions, you know, taking games which do and maybe stripping out, and then it becomes the plus version for Apple Arcade. Mm. But you know, it, it's like on its way to becoming just a dumping ground, like the Android service that no one knows the name of. <laughs> um, yeah, the thing that. Netflix that is a little bit cursed is the whole you go into the Netflix app and then it kind of pulls you into the Android <laughs> store. It's not the most satisfying experience. No. It's a little bit, it feels a little bit like janky and odd, like where these things actually live on your phone. Uh, yeah, I, uh, hacked in a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My next one. Actually, did you see um, over the Christmas holidays, lots of stuff was coming out about like Netflix cancelled so many shows that people love last year and then this has been fact doing the round about like the most important metric to Netflix is and it is watch time, but it's specifically watch time in the first month. Right, yeah. Like the first month is what decides a show's fate. So now you see all these fan communities who are basically like setting up sort of streaming bot farms to stream their favourite show like the day it comes out for a month because they're like what we all need to do is we need to get Warrior Nun and we need to watch it 24-7 for the whole month that it's out and you're like this is mad yeah you know? <laughs> don't do this you can't fight the algorithm don't don't even try you know I just like the idea that Netflix wouldn't be able to tell that that's what was happening like I'm sure they've got sophisticated enough stuff that they're like well this person's watched that you know all they've done for the whole of June is watch just the Sandman. Like, <laughs> they wasted a lot of electricity. Odd. Yeah, a lot of electricity wasted there. Um, but they have seen the Sandman forty-five times. So good for them. Um, whereas I kind of wait. I tend to wait thirty days to start a Netflix series to see whether it gets cancelled or not. Which is like, well, you're not part of the problem. No, I'm not. <laughs> you need to invest early. No, I'm not. They are. They are the problem for like making that their. The way, the way they decide things. Like, if you had any interest or respect in Netflix shows you got from day one. <laughs> I think I did cram in a couple of Sandmans before the end of that 30-day period because I think Neil Gaiman was tweeting about, oh, 
this month, this first month's really important. I was like, oh shit, I better get this. I better like you know <laughs> chuck my fucking chip in the in the pile just to make sure that you know my vote has been registered. That yes, I am pro Sandman. They've cancelled so many big shows in 2022. I had I had an idea of a new reality TV show where like if you win, your show comes back, <laughs> and it's like the showrunners competing in like a Britain's Got Talent to like bring back all the stuff that didn't make it. I think that would be great. There'd be some real varying levels of physical fitness going on there. I think. <laughs> Yeah, but that's it. You know, like I want to see the showrunner of Warrior and then go up against the two showrunners of 1899 <laughs> to like fight for their show to come back. Well, David Hayter's one of the writers of um, Warrior Nun. Like, um, so maybe he can join in. It's like, oh, you think that the creator's down, then Solid Snake jumps in with a fucking haymaker or something. Like, I just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I like that idea. That's really good. Uh, God, it's it's a, bit, it's a little bit dystopian, all of that, isn't it? It's sort of like <laughs> the good thing about the more nascent streaming services is they'll renew things before they've even had an audience. You see that with Apple a lot, where they're like, "We're making four seasons of C with Jason Momoa," and I'm I'm dubious that more than fifty thousand people have watched that TV show like globally. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't really see there being an appetite for it. But yeah, Netflix is a lot more. Well, hey, you know, we are in like recession times, and you know. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah, the streaming the streaming gold gold rush had to come to an end eventually. Anyway, next up from me, a Nintendo Switch successor is teased right at the end of this year. Maybe the Game Awards, Ooh. I don't know. So, is this going to happen this year, Matthew? We have, you know, surely the bookend game of the Switch generation, the second big Zelda open world thing. You know, in um, Tears of the Kingdom launching in May. Surely after that. There's not going to be like loads and loads more Switch games. You are looking at the six year mark this year, and then next year after seven years, surely feels like the right time that a Switch successor comes along. And I think the idea of it being teased this year is plausible. I don't think they're like necessarily reach sales saturation with a Switch, but Nintendo tends to have a habit of like continuing to sell hardware after they've launched a new bit of hardware anyway. So I don't Mm -hmm. think it matters that people are still buying the Switch as such. I think they'll they'll still have something planned. But yeah, seven years feels like the right time to me. And so seeing it this year feels plausible. What do you think? That feels about right. I was was looking through kind of all the Switch Pro, Switch 2 rumours to try and work out where i where i sort of sat on all this and the, the boring point i came to was uh, I've, I've never had less of an idea of what nintendo would do next <laughs> than i do now timeline wise i think that makes perfect sense what the hell it's going to be surely the temptation is to carry on the kind of switch form factor yeah uh, the fact that they've basically recalibrated their whole company to be focused around one piece of hardware they've merged their handheld and home teams you know which they famously did before the switch they can't lose the portability or the home element of it it's just too beloved it's too it's 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 just too established an idea i think for them them not to make quite a boring safe follow-up to it you know who who or what drove the the mad innovation before and the desire to try something new constantly you know they didn't just do a simple Wii 2 but the idea of a switch 2 sounds inherently un-nintendo like but it is also like i think the thing they have to do yeah i just hope that they don't drop the ball and misread the room in terms of legacy gaming on it and and how those things carry over i think things have changed in how people think about this you know i think xbox have 
have have made such great hay from this guarantee if it plays now it will play forever in our ecosystem and the idea of a game collection that stays with you just feels so established and it goes against nintendo's desire to just resell everything and make you buy updated versions of everything um i think they could get away with it on switch just because we you everything bombed so hard no matter how good it was (laughs) that there was like no embarrassment in reselling it to a whole new you know most people who bought mario kart 8 haven't played Mario Kart 8 or owned it before mm. I just hope it does everything on Switch you know I'd, I'd love there to be something where I have a huge Switch collection and it's it's on day one a little bit better again you know mm. that the, the few kinks and hiccups that we've begun to see in, in the last couple of years due to hardware limitations are like ironed out my wish is on day one I can plug <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom into my next Switch or Xenoblade 3 into my next Switch and see it running slightly better than before. I thought you were going to say Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. That's the one you tend to. <laughs> oh, well, definitely that. <laughs> I mean, that game runs like an absolute pig. Yeah, yeah, that 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 would be nice, but God knows what it's going to be. But yeah, timing-wise, it just it just makes it makes sense. Um, yeah. The idea of there being like a, 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 a Switch Pro or something that lives alongside the Switch and that they still have to make games for the Switch for the next... However many years, it just doesn't seem feasible to me. No, I don't think so. I think that, like, I think the Wii U was such a disaster that it's maybe (laughs) spooked them from the big concept gaming console or gaming handheld. I think that, like, the idea of something that can, you know, can where where the games can be easily ported from PC or or PS4 or whatever to Switch is they realise it's too appealing. Because the thing is, obviously, they generate money for every digital purchase that people make on Switch. So they will see mm. the app, the upside of not making it hard to develop for, right? And if you do something like... have If you if you decided to have a Wii U again, where you had, like, two screens or something, you are suddenly shutting off a massive part of that market. And I think that... I would, I would assume that Nintendo has learned from that. Now, I'm not saying that, like, there's not something exciting about Nintendo's traditional approach to making hardware that does something exciting. That's what, you know, that's why the DS was so amazing, because they took a, a gamble with it. People didn't think it would work. And then, you know, the mm. games that made the most out of that system were, you know, our, our all-time favorites that we discuss in this podcast all the time. So, you know, like, that stuff has, has like, definitely, like, made hay for them in the past. But... I think we are in a different era, like you say. I think this kind of this kind of just needs to be the same thing again. Maybe you do something different, like peripheral wise with it, but I don't think that like the idea of a sixteen nine console that plugs into your TV, like a handheld console that plugs into your TV, that can't change now. It's like it's just too big to walk away from. Um, yeah, yeah, and like the good thing as well for nintendo the 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 incentive to have continuity between those libraries is that it's like yes you can't necessarily like repackage uh, mario kart 8 deluxe again and resell it to people but you could you could i was thinking this (laughs) i was going to write one of my predictions they re-release it with all the dlc tracks included as mario kart 8 ultimate (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it runs at like 8k or something yeah i um, (laughs) am That's. I suppose that's not out of the question. Or they sell some kind of upgraded version that you pay like ten quid for if you own it, and then oh yeah, mm. we'll see. But the thing is that like because of the way that digital marketplaces work, they can just keep selling that forever. Plus, they've got to fucking make a new Mario Kart at some point, right? Like just do that instead of re-releasing old stuff. But, yeah. 
yeah i suppose we'll see um, yeah so i think this will happen this year um and i do th- I, like my yeah it's not a bold prediction but i do think it'll be the same thing again but more powerful and it'll play all your mm. existing games but i don't think nintendo will bother doing the um <laughs> it will run better on on it i don't think they just uh, they don't seem that like that kind of publisher to me you know what i mean they don't yeah. they don't think about things in that terms they don't they don't think what's our days gone and how do we get it running at 60 fps oh not, it just yeah those kind of leaps speak to me so much because it's so fun rediscovering like your old library like that's that's where xbox has just trumped everyone this generation you know with regards to backwards compatibility it's just a treat seeing what happens when my games from 10 years ago i pop them in Mm, yeah absolutely um speaking of that matthew um oh actually no because it's not my prediction i was gonna do a segue but it's not my prediction it's yours oh fucked it good radio in it what's your um next prediction my uh prediction uh is about Tears of the Kingdom. Mm. Not really, but based on anything other than one one detail in the trailer. I think it's actually going to have the shape of a more traditional Zelda quest embedded in the map from Breath of the Wild. Mm. I think it's going to be like seven big dungeons job. Maybe you tackle them in different orders, but I think they're going to tackle the criticism that the last game didn't have like the big traditional dungeon showpieces. You know, it had the, the ancient beasts, which were kind of like you know its version of that but i i i just think that's that's going to be a thing that happens in the trailer there's an image of someone with seven doodads which practically looks like a link inventory screen you're like i can see you collecting those seven things to activate this thing to to get to the final boss or whatever it's not going to dial back the the kind of like survival-ish gameplay of the first game or the exploration freedom i think it's just going to embed a slightly more traditional zelda thing into the mix as a not an evolution of it but a kind of nod to another side of zelda that people didn't get from the first my big dream was that this was going to have a big sea faring element to it right and that there'd almost be a sort of a wind waker within it maybe either launching from the coastline to go to lots of islands or maybe given that the map has changed or you know seems to have been physically scarred by whatever's gone on in the story that there may be like a flooded region but in the trailers what they've shown you know it seems pretty comprehensive in terms of oh this really does look like the old map but maybe with stuff under or over it so i'm i'm kind of cooling on my my sailing uh angle and going for something slightly more conservative but that i could see them doing yeah that's fair enough um it is actually quite funny that we know so little about this game at this point when i feel like when um the publicity cycle for breath of the wild was so much about like let's get this impressor's hands they can you know mess around on the first like um first bit of the map and see how it works Mm. and stuff like this is like we're brought, you know people are in the weeds of youtube trailer analysis about really granular stuff and it's just such a different proposition and it's hard to tell whether they're like keeping it quiet because they're about to ramp it up massively in the run-up to launch or if there are like secrets they just want to keep um so it's kind of a mystery but i i do think that what you say about dungeons is probably true um it's another way they can flex their design muscles um and give you new things to see if perhaps it is reusing the original map um to some extent so yeah um, mm. i can see that matthew okay good prediction i'm really excited for this game yeah it's gonna be uh yes just gonna be a massive event i actually like i keep forgetting it's coming out like i just i don't know i feel like i'm not allowing myself to get excited because the concept of a sequel to the best game of all time is like <laughs> just like I, I just can't you know what i mean i can't quite fathom it's, it it's just like but like yeah. the time but that's the thing you know you're like the time that they've spent on it is that 
how much of it was misspent, how much of it was panic, how much of it was fuck, we've got to make the sequel to this fucking thing. Because <laughs> that would be my fear, is that they've been like paralysed by not knowing what to do with it. Six six years, though. It's a long time. It is a long time. And I know they did a little bit of DLC, but it wasn't like, you know, anything too sort of substantial or that exciting. Yeah. The detractors of Breath of the Wild are like willingness to be a glorified DLC pack that they can dunk on. <laughs> then you've got like a big chunk of the internet who's like, this is going to be amazing, but it's probably going to be nobbled by like tech issues. <laughs> Because the original game could stumble on the la- you know, at launch on Switch. Yeah. So, like, now, can it possibly work? And that would be sad if that were to happen, but... I don't know, man. Yeah. It, like, that thing, that thing ran on a Wii U, you know what I mean? Like, it's... Let's have a bit of faith, I reckon. Um, yeah. It won't fuck about yeah, with Yeah, it's... Yeah. It'll be good. I just sky... I fucking love skydiving. Maybe it'll be the game that actually, like, gets the Skyward Sword concept and does it justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, so yeah, as someone who uh, has a lot of uh, Sky with Sword stock, I wish you well in uh, in that endeavour. Um, yeah, okay, good. Okay, my next prediction. Sony unveils native PlayStation 3 backwards compatibility for the PS5, leading to a broad reappraisal of the Resistance trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a rumor a little while ago that um, I think that maybe they did actually hire someone who was working on, who specifically was hired to work on like emulation compatibility and stuff. I think as Sony like further builds out its, you know, PS Plus tiers element, the thing that's going to like really set it apart is actually deepening that back catalogue. It's something they've not done in the way that Microsoft has. And I think that like you have a whole generation of games just sort of sat there. A lot of these have been salvaged for modern platforms, but not all of them have. And it feels like um, it's a kind of like novel angle to get people more invested in paying for that stuff. Um, really, this is my kind of joke uh, gag entry because um, the idea of the Resistance games coming back and being um, a sort of reappraised is quite funny because they are brown shooters from the noughties um, that um, <laughs> I feel like me and three other people liked. So, yes, um, I think this also like the idea of only being able to access games via like cloud streaming it just hasn't seemed to have the appeal to people that having backwards compatibility has for xbox it just isn't quite seen as the same thing and i think that's pretty much fair enough um yeah as someone who played god of war ascension via cloud streaming matthew what was your take on it <laughs> oh, so it was hard going uh... <laughs> it's it's not the optimal way to enjoy not the optimal god of war adventure <laughs> Yeah, a very cursed endeavour that. Um, so yes, that's my uh, that's my gag one, Matthew. Um, what's your next prediction? Oh, my next one. Oh, this one's so shit. I had no idea where I was going with this. Because it doesn't even matter if this is true or not. Um, I was thinking about how many Warriors games there have been, like Hyrule Warriors, Fire Emblem Warriors. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder what the next tie-in Warriors game could be, because there's not currently one on the books, right, right, right. as far as I can tell. So my big prediction is that there will be a Warriors tie-in for either Lord of the Rings or Star Wars Clone Wars. Oh, what? <laughs> okay. Interesting. I told you, Explain your workings. Complete. 
Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I was literally, <laughs> the logic behind this, I was like, I was looking at my last few years predictions and was like, oh, I can't repeat these. I was like, what, what fucking thing haven't I talked about? And I thought, oh, Warriors games, that'll do. <laughs> and then I sat there for all of five minutes going, what licenses have big battles that make sense with the Warriors format? The Warriors format, for those who aren't familiar with it, is you play superhero kind of historical figures fighting thousands of people. So it, it basically suits battlefield scenarios and i was thinking if oh if i had a big license if i could have any battlefield license or a license which had a, a big war scenes in them you know what could you do and i was thinking well lord of the rings and because rings of the powers back you know that's it's it's in the kind of public uh, conscious again so maybe that would work and i was like oh star wars clone wars people like star wars and clone wars is the bit of star wars which has big battles in it and like war uh, I assume it's in the name. I've never watched it. Yeah, uh, this is based on fuck all. It's absolutely abysmal. Um, yeah, I, you know, look forward to pudding in December. <laughs> I want to see uh, a poorly rendered Frodo Baggins battering the shit out of like 400 goblins while uh, Gandalf, with the same voice actor as Lou Boo, rides in and batters the shit out of people. <laughs> 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 I, I really, as I was saying it, I was like, oh, they're quite Western franchises for a thing which has tended to go <laughs> yeah, Japanese JRPGs and things. Mm. Um, maybe I should have rethought that one. But mm. listen, <laughs> you know, you try brainstorming 2023 predictions while you're eating your lunch at Milk Bun. <laughs> <laughs> you become a big Milk Bun stand these days. I thought it was just all right. Oh, I'm, I'm into Milk Bun. Oh, the, the, the sides are better than the burgers, I think. Like, if you had the... Um, the cheese fries they do, they do like um, oh yeah yeah I have the cheese they're amazing fucking hell those are like that's like the best side I've ever had and like we had quite bad service there we waited some like forty five minutes for the food and like they treat it you go in there and they they kind of treat it like it's fancier than it is and the burger I thought was just okay but the side was like life changing stuff um that cheese man yeah I, li- I I I like the burger I think we're on a slightly different page when it comes to burgers right okay what's your sort of like what's your, what's your take on burgers then. <laughs> well, well, no, in that I know you're a big Magu guy. Yeah, well, Magu is really like the Magu. I think gets the flavors right. That's the thing. Like, it's a good. Oh, it's a bit rich for me. Oh, okay, fair enough. You'd like a slightly, slightly more lean sort of like. I like a, like back. a more anemic, unambitious burger done well. <laughs> well, no, no, but I'm like that too. I, I, I judge all burger places on the quality of their cheese, but like a basic bitch cheeseburger, basically. And like, right. That's why I. That's why I love Magu is because their burger sauce is really, really good, and their cheese is really nice, and like it. That's a great simple burger done well, but I tend to find that if I go for any more complicated burgers on most menus, it, it's slightly disappointing because I do just want to see a basic thing done well. You know what I mean? It has to be the height of my natural mouth opening. <laughs> you know? I don't want to have to like extend my jaw to fit around some giant stacked monstrosity, <laughs> and I don't want the embarrassment of having to eat it with a knife and a fork. Um, <laughs> which happens when it gets too stacked. I mean, I like basic bitch Schwartz Brothers, so Yeah. It's like it's a, it's like it's a bit a bit a bit overhyped as well, I think. Like we went in there the weekend it opened and there were loads of people there. And um there was like a couple of families, three really young kids, and I thought, "Why are you wasting these fucking fancy burgers on these kids? They don't care. Just go to McDonald's on the way home." Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm. they don't they're not going to fucking appreciate having like, you know, really rich cheese fries and like you know but like that's, truffle that's cheese very bath yeah having like an artisan burger place you can take your toddler to yeah there's a yen sushi which i used to quite enjoy it sadly shut down over the pandemic like when you see like eight-year-olds having sushi and it's like you don't appreciate this i didn't appreciate sushi until i was like 18 you know what i mean like it's 
Don't, you're like wasting 24 quid on like a, a toddler who just doesn't know any better. You know what I mean? That's me calling an eight-year-old a toddler. That shows how little I know about children, but still. You, you mean, yeah, well, we, we all know that you have problems with this. Are you sure it was a toddler and not a pensioner? <laughs> yeah, it's like when I got up close, it was a 94-year-old woman, which is difficult. <laughs> She's old enough to appreciate sushi. That's good. <laughs> I can tell how bad my Rory's prediction was that it pushed us down this burger tangent. Oh, I did have something to say about this. Like, do, do you think nothing like Final Fantasy is a more plausible like offshoot for like um, this sort of series? Because it feels like that's something that's not been done right. I would, have they done a Dragon Quest one? I don't know. I don't think they have actually. But like, that feels like something where like they kind of look for you know they did like Persona you know and they've done Fire Emblem. Yeah. Like, what else are like the big Japanese like RPG adjacent? Yeah, things, I guess you know? so. Because off the top of my head, I wouldn't have said Persona was a great fit for it. Because the you know you're never overwhelmed with enemies in that game, yeah. Which it, it just fits the militaristic setting of like Zelda or Fire Emblem. Um, yeah, Final Fantasy would be a lot more iconic. Um, yeah, that would make more a lot more sense than making a Earth Warriors tie-in for Rings of Power. <laughs> <laughs> they should do a Rings of Power tie-in, and on the character select screen, multiple characters are just named Sauron? Question mark. <laughs> Um, until you get to the end of the campaign and work out one, which one of those fuckers actually is Sauron. Yeah, it's like Sauron, Sauron, Galadriel, Sauron, Sauron, Lenny Henry. And like that's like the, <laughs> that's the character selection screen. Uh, very good. Okay, good. I, I, I enjoyed that prediction because it's just wild. The, the Clone Wars thing in particular is quite wild. But I'd like to see it done. And we are in the era where there's meant to be more Star Wars games, so... Yeah. This is really based on nothing. That's good. This is based on me going, hey, Catherine, which licenses have battles in them? <laughs> Poor Catherine. And she's like, I'm trying to eat a fucking burger, Matthew, you know what I mean? And like, run a website. <laughs> um, okay, good. So my next one. Game Pass increases in price for the first time as Starfield re- launches. Um, oh, all right, all right. Piers Harding rolls. <laughs> uh, the rolls are all uh, b- b- beneath my chest, Matthew, and um, <laughs> stopping me from breathing. Yeah, so this is like, uh, I feel like this is bound to happen at some point, right? I don't think Game Pass has ever increased in price from seven ninety nine a month and eleven ninety nine for the ultimate tier. And that's been at that price point for a long time. At the time you surely see something like this change and it become like 10 quid a month or something, it's when a game as big as Starfield launches because you know everyone's going to sign up to it to check that game out. What do you think of this one, Matthew? That makes perfect sense. Last year you were kind of like, the price isn't going up, but they didn't release anything. There was no PR moment they could have possibly raised the price last year and justified it. This year though, yeah. That, that makes sense. There you go. Um, yeah. Piers Harding tummy rolls out. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a new strand of this podcast. <laughs> Piers Harding tummy rolls. Piers Harding rolls, for those that don't know, he's an analyst. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, that's a fucking dumb joke there. Um, but yeah, I think this this will happen. I have nothing more to say about it. Next prediction, Matthew. There will be a Sega Saturn Mini <gasps> announced. Oh, I hope so. That's one I would actually buy, you know. I actually don't think it will happen. <laughs> because... Uh, <laughs> How is it a prediction then? (laughs) Well, so the only... Right, when they put out the Sega Mega Drive 2, there was like a survey in it of like, what would you like to see next? And it had, you know, like Master System, but it also had Saturn and Dreamcast on there. So that that maybe suggests that there's a timeline where this does happen. But... The, the guy who, like, heads up their, their mini console projects has said in the past, like, the reason we did, like, Mega Drive 2 rather than Saturn or Dreamcast 
is that they would be very, very expensive. There's this quote that does the rounds where he talks about, like, in pandemic times, the chipset would be so expensive that it's just not viable to do a Saturn or Dreamcast. Now, I don't know if that means it won't ever be viable or, like, things will level out after the pandemic or we're now in a position where this could one day happen. But the fact that there's that questionnaire glimmer of hope this is this is one I have very uh, little experience with the Saturn. I, I don't think I knew anyone who owned one, and it's something I would I would like to get to know through a mini console. It's definitely something I would buy. Yeah, I mean I bought the Mega Drive Two because it had Mega CD stuff, and I had no experience of that either. So you know the idea of like here's a thing from your childhood that you you didn't interact with is is very very appealing. Yeah, I feel like Sega take these things really seriously as well. Like the um. The Mega Drive 2 was quite an esoteric lineup, wasn't it? It felt like a collector's piece. In fact, I think it just sold out on Amazon and they never restocked it. Like it just, it came and it went and that was it. Um, and you have mm. one of them, which is baffling still. Um, but hey, I'm, I'm very happy for you. Yeah, I would love to see this too. I agree with you. Like this, this surely is, if you were like, oh yeah, we fi- found a way to bring Panzer Dragoon Saga back, you know, um, that's that would get so many people to buy it. And it doesn't seem that niche when you compare it to the likes of like a PC Engine Mini, you know, and things like that. Like this is this is kind of where these things are trending. They are trending away from the oh, we've done the NES, the SNES, and the you know, and the Mega Drive for the first time. Now it's time to do some more in depth things. And it really does seem to be a market for this stuff um, from collectors. So yeah, I agree with you. Like I would like to see this too. Like it's um, I wonder. Yeah, it's interesting to hear about the chipset because you'd think that this stuff. A lot of this stuff is emulated on Steam Deck and and Burnick handhelds fairly well. So, actually, no, I think Saturn, Saturn emulation does have some does have some tricky issues. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Surely, you wouldn't need to mm. release a two hundred pounds console to like get people to be able to play a Sega Saturn in like twenty twenty three. These things are about a hundred quid when they come out, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. you could see it being a hundred and fifty, say, as it because it's going to be a more complicated thing than before. Yeah, um, I do also like the idea that like. We need to rename this episode from 2023 predictions to 2023 things that may or may not happen um, because you don't believe your own predictions. That's good. Well, that's what a prediction... Oh, a prediction isn't... I guess a prediction is it will happen, yeah. There's a hard fact that this prediction has to kind of hurdle over. Um, (laughs) Yeah, a hard reality, um, yeah. Um, But, yeah. um, yeah, I did wonder about, like, a GameCube mini or something, something to kind of sort of fill the... The, the the period between Breath of the Wild two and Switch two something just to have like a big shouty Christmas thing but you feel like that would be a big distraction for them and I'm still holding out for GameCube to turn up on Virtual Console I still think bolstering their online subscription service would make more <laughs> sense than selling a bit of plastic that you play for ten minutes and then never again oh, I don't even have a fucking Goldeneye on there how long have we been waiting for that now as well why is the PR campaign for Goldeneye on Virtual Console like the length of Cyberpunk 2077. Just put the damn thing out, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, yeah. I was hoping that would drop over Christmas, weren't you? Just give it a bit of golden eye would have gone down great on Christmas Day. Yeah, it? one of my predictions last year was that it'll be out in 2022 and we'll, be, we'll play it for five minutes and be powerfully underwhelmed. So <laughs> that rolls into 2023. I think you'll play it and be like, oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah, I did actually. One of the predictions I cut off this list was um, Goldeneye comes out and millennials complain that it's not as good as they remember on Twitter. But then that was too similar to your one. So, um, yeah, okay, we're missing <laughs> the end. Okay, my next one. 
Um, Final Fantasy XIII and its two sequels are updated for modern platforms. Now, you can play these games on Xbox uh, backwards compatible, no problem. But I can see Square Enix being like, we've got all the other Final Fantasies out onto you know the nintendo switch etc now it's time to get the three um slightly cursed hd era um, rpgs out which are quite interesting they're all very different from each other um the first one is a very linear but like quite trad feeling final fantasy game with a great sort of class system the second one is a really weird and wacky time travel game with like a kind of like monster collecting element to it and a bunch of different and a very sexy chocobo lady oh god chocolina fucking chocolina man and then the third one lightning returns has like a counting down a day element like a timer element i've not played this one but it's um it's a game that i think people who who like it just really like it it's got people who are going to go to bat for it but i feel like it came out after i think it came out after the ps4 launch and there wasn't that much interest in it but i think there's like there is something to be to be gained in like excavating this and putting it everywhere um you can play this on pc too but i think like switch is the one where people kind of want to see all those Final Fantasies in a single place. So um, that happening this year doesn't feel implausible to me. Small prediction, but one I think might happen. Thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've only played the first one. So yeah, up, up for this for sure. That's good. It's a big chocolina head as uh, established. Um, what's your next one, Matthew? <laughs> E3 is back, but the E3 experience will grow even more fragmented. Mm. Um, yeah. I think the idea of E3 being back and being a solution to the kind of horrible E3s we've had the last few years where everyone's sort of doing their own thing. I just think it's going to be an official E3 voice in the mix and everyone will continue doing their own thing. You know, I obviously wish my former employers read pop well uh, with their relaunch of E3, but um, I just just can't see it being the same thing. I think E3 E3 or the, the summer announcement period, probably a better way of describing it, is just permanently broken and fragmented now. I think some people are predicting like a big war between E3 and Summer Games Fest. I don't think it's going to be as spicy as that. I think it's just going to be you have to watch twice as many streams as you normally do to, to pick up on everything, which is going to be very, very irritating. I think the, just the, the upside that Sony and Microsoft have seen of direct marketing just like you know just having a live stream where it's all there people will watch it and they'll base buying decisions on those streams right that's that that's the power of them now they are like yeah they don't need to be in a room that's got loads of people in it to do it you know that could definitely bring a bit more of a sort of like we just discussed this on the xl episode about e3 moments but having people in a room reacting to something is the one thing that you have been missing the last few years and like it was It was what set aside, for example, the God of War 2018 reveal when they were when people saw Kratos for the first time and were like, oh my God. And, you know, those things define E3 and that has been lost as we've kind of gone to this live stream um, sort of approach to doing things. But yeah, I do agree with you. Um, it doesn't seem like you can put this back in the box. It certainly doesn't feel like we ever get to the point where it all happens in three days again. You know what I mean? Like it, it really mm. didn't used to be like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then you go to E3 for three days and then it was over. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I, I can't see it now. Because um, you you were away last year when me and Jeremy did the roundup of the games. Yes, that, and yeah. and like, I watched so many live streams that I felt really exhausted by the end of it. And like, you know, I do enjoy watching the like wholesome game stream, for example, but I don't know if that needs to be around E3 week. That could probably just be like in July or May or something. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, I'm a, I'm a big Warhammer E3 guy these days. That was um, that was quite fun. Uh, Skulls, where they put all the Warhammer games, and you see Space Marine Two and stuff like that. That kind of like theming I quite like. But when it's 
I just think like Je- Jeff Keighley has so sort of established himself as the voice of game hype now mm. that it's going to just be very you, you are in competition with him you know like when he started off when E3 was a thing and he was just doing like his little side streams or whatever it, you know he was kind of it almost felt like they sort of tolerated him and and you know people were there so they may as well pop across the road and go and do half an hour at his bit or whatever but he really has eaten a lunch now when they weren't doing it proper and like the game awards last year just you know whatever you think of them they were just so like big and mad in terms of like the people that were there and the money that was clearly spent on it i mean like fucking like al pacino was there it's still mad to me <laughs> great great trailers as well like actual like yeah it just it just yeah. felt like oh well this is the thing you know if there is a video game oscars you know, or this is this is the closest it'll ever be. You know, like this is this is going to be that. You can't you can't kind of compete with that. It kind of um, it kind of needs to be the same thing, like for the consumer's sake, really. Like it needs to be like yeah. there is a show floor element. Maybe that's what like the you know the, e, the actual E three part is, and then there's the live stream stuff that is the Jeff Keighley stuff. Those yeah. to me that but feels he, like he yeah. is going like he was like last year turning it into a kind of an an E three of sorts. Like yeah. there was an event people were invented invited to. You know, journalists went to Jeff's thing and played the demo. It basically like turned Judges Week into a more formal event yeah. and that's that's the seed of like an alt e3 yeah that's what i really want i want literally two e3s on either side of a road competing <laughs> journalists are like oh it's not it's no longer a question of like which hall is my next appointment in it's which e3 is my next appointment in yeah <laughs> oh god it's the other one <laughs> this will be a big litmus test as well for like an in-person e3 like it's how many people exhibit and then how many people actually go this will be like It'll either live or die this year, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, you know, I'm with you. I like an in-person E3, so I hope it kind of goes off. But yeah, I just don't, I don't know about two weeks of like 25 live streams. I just, I don't know if that's. Oh, the, I mean, that, I mean, that headspace. And it's just so many good things slip through the cracks because they're like, oh, I know I'll go up against the Sony stream, and it's like no Gorilla Collective, don't do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um. Okay, good. That's a good prediction, though, Matthew. Um, yeah, by twenty twenty five, there will be nineteen different E threes, and it will be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll be doing our own back page E three. <laughs> <I might, laughs> what would be at um, our E three? Um, or Randy well, Newman? Talked of about course. it. Randy Newman falling out of the car. <laughs> Hotel Dusk HD, of course. Barack uh, Obama. <laughs> I don't think people even remember my one because your one like canonically overwrote my um, big Sammy Holden. Yours had to... John Mulaney, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, that feels a bit like mid compared to Barack Obama, doesn't it? Um, you can see why people remember your one. Um, <laughs> that's good. Back page E three coming twenty twenty four. I look forward to it. Um, just drop us a line if you'd like to reveal your game with us, and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Um, okay, I've only got two left now because um, my next one was going to be the new Super Mario Bros. one. We discussed that. Um, yeah. So my next one is Elder Scrolls Three Morrowind remake gets announced. So Ooh. if there's like one thing that you know Bethesda has been able to bank on in like recent years, it's been able to port Skyrim to everything, and it'd be a massive success because there is still going to be probably five years before you see um elder scrolls uh six come along um which was announced a long time ago now you know like um starfield has to release and they have to go make an entire elder scrolls game that feels like a while away the idea of excavating an interesting 
kind of like almost cult favorite um sort of like early noughties rpg and putting it into the skyrim template more you know giving it that kind of quality of life first person experience thing feels like it could be like a big a big smash and then they've got another elder scrolls they could just keep rolling out onto other stuff and this this feels like the one where remaking it is like is plausibly doable and not like a complete headache so I think this will happen. Um, there was some rumor that they they set up a studio to do this, but um, I don't know about I don't know about all that. But I just I just feel like there is money on the table still with Elder Scrolls, and the idea of tidying people over until the next one comes along seems plausible. Thoughts, Matthew? Not a series I've like a huge amount of like level connection to, so like you know I have no desire for it to happen, but I <laughs> I think you make a very feasible case for it. <laughs> Good. Um, well said. What's your next prediction? Yeah. Well, my last one was was a very <laughs> desperate attempt to. I was just going to guess what the top five games on Metacritic are going to be. Oh yeah, go for it. I want to hear this. This is more fun than predictions. I think the top five scores on Metacritic for 2023. It. I think it's going to be Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I think it's going to be Hollow Knight Silk Song. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be Resident Evil 4 Remake. Oh yeah. That's coming out, isn't it? Now, after this, I was going to pick two other upcoming games. I was going to probably pick Final Fantasy 16 and I can't remember the other Final one. Final Fantasy is always a roll looking... of the dice, you know. Yeah, you never. But I just got a. I got a feeling it's going to be like properly good. 16. Yeah, same. Based on very little, but then I looked at this year's Metacritic top five, and I remembered that actually, like, what happens is games that are really good from old years come out and they get really. Overscored, <laughs> like the the two highest scoring games this year were Elden Ring and Portal Companion Connection. <laughs> right. um, so I was trying to think, well, what could get announced this year? What could happen this year with a from old years to have high scores? Yeah, yeah. And so I think one of the other high score games of the year is going to be Half Life Alex on PSVR two. Ooh, okay. And this one's a bit boring, so I apologise to end on this on this low note. <laughs> I think there's going to be a very high scoring Cyberpunk Complete Edition. Oh, interesting. You think they'll get like a big reappraisal when that DLC drops and they put yeah, yeah. I think the DLC. I think the DLC be good. That's also influenced by one of the highest scoring games of last year was The Witcher Three Complete Edition. <laughs> Um, um, isn't so? Isn't there always like some fucking out of the park baseball twenty twenty four like that gets like ninety six or something on Metacritic as well? Like I can see that making the top five, you know. But uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just interesting looking at last year's. Like it's pretty it's pretty conservative. Like the top five games is like Portal Companion Collection, Elden Ring, Persona Five Royal on Switch. <laughs> The Witcher 3 Complete Collection, and then God of War Ragnarok. Yeah. First party, I don't think it's going to be Starfield. I think Starfield's going to be, like, low 80s. Forza, Forza always scores high. Motorsport, I think that'll come out. But that's very, that's just boring. I can't imagine. That's just too boring to be to be a 90s game, surely. But it's going to look shiny as hell, right? They've been making it for years, so, yeah. Spider-Man 2 feels like it's got a cap of 90 to me. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, like, we don't know what its big idea is yet, right? Like, there's there's got to be something else there. If it's just New York again, I just, I've got no interest in it, really. Right. That city is so exhausted. The thrill of swinging around New York is, is sort of done. What if they build some dungeons? Dungeons underneath it, Matthew, and some floating islands above it. Would that... Well, now, oh, now we're talking. <laughs> if there are seven dungeons and a Wind Waker-style ocean <laughs> in the river, oh, that's really funny. Sailing to I'm, New Jersey. I'm up for that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Does Spider-Man ever like go out of Manhattan into the into the boroughs? <laughs> um, 
I think like I can't really remember a sort of like New Jersey Spider-Man comic, you know, um, or like uh, you know that. Yeah, I just it doesn't necessarily come to mind. But you kind of need some tall buildings. Swinging around flat Brooklyn doesn't really do it for me. <laughs> it's got some biggish buildings and nice rooftops and stuff. I actually don't know what they'll do with that. It's one of those unanswerable questions when yeah. you have a big franchise, but the environment is kind of like part of the IP. Like that's that is tough to overcome. Um, mm. But uh, it makes me wonder if there'll just be a load of Venom shit They'll stick around Manhattan to try and give it a little bit of a facelift But I think it still needs something more than that So uh, yeah, mm. hard one to call Matthew um, Enjoyed that though Was there any other um, <laughs> numbers you want to throw in there? Or? No, so I, while, while I feel bad to pepper my top five with re-releases I really do think that, I mean, that is just how Metacritic works Yeah, basically um, like, It's interesting, if, if you do that fantasy uh, fantasy critic league thing where you you basically pick games and then the Metacritic score is how many points you get at the end of the year. They don't let you pick things which are re-releases or ports right. because they're established successes. You know, if you remove Half Life Alex, which hasn't even been announced, uh, if it is a thing, uh, and Cyberpunk from the mix, then yeah, I'd say Final Fantasy 16 feels like a good bet. And I, I probably would say I can see Forza Motorsport being a high reviewed one even though it's it's not for me yeah okay good i i enjoy i enjoy i enjoyed that uh that that list uh, i think you're probably about right to be honest like Silk resident Song evil is... 4 is a bit of a risky one maybe i don't know so? i think like as long as they've done the whole game which they probably have um it sounds like they have if, if, if the word is that they've expanded the the final island section oh, a bit. fuck that'd be good that is quite a brisk section i suppose but by that point you've been playing mm. it for like 16 hours so it's uh it's fine but, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. we'll see. I can't wait to play that, actually. That's that's out in, like, two two months, isn't it? We can just play that. Oh, that's good. That is reassuring. Um, okay, cool. My last prediction, then. Last prediction here from, uh, yeah, uh, Piers Harding Tubby Rolls, uh, me. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, so after Tears of the Kingdom uh, releases, um, there'll be an avalanche of um, celebratory Zelda bits and pieces that are revealed towards the end of the year. And I think among these will be a Link to the Past remake for Switch. Um, so you had Link's Awakening, right? And you could have seen the Oracles games being done, but there's two of them. Um, there's maybe like they are like beloved, uh, sort of like critically, and they definitely have like a big fan following. But I think that the bigger fish would be tackling a Link to the Past in the same art style. Um, so was it Grezzo who did that? I think it was Grezzo, wasn't it? Yeah. So I could, I this would be this would be a, a more ambitious project. You have like you know a lot more map to make basically, and like a different uh sort of art style in the uh you know when you switch worlds basically to accommodate for but i feel like this is this is kind of the game that what had the gba sort of re-release and it's readily available on like you know the virtual console stuff that that they do but i feel like something that pushes it along a little bit that updates it like this could be that feels about right to me like there's that has to be on on their minds a little bit of like I don't know, they, they did the 3DS versions of um, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, and if it quite gave A Link to the Past the same treatment, what do you think, Matthew? Not something I thought of, but that's a, that's a really great shout. Yeah, I mean, it, that that would just do mega, mega numbers. I mean, Link's Awakening is loved, but Link to the Past is still, like, the main event. I think one's a good trial run for the other as well, like, because um, it sold, I think it sold super well, that Link's Awakening redo. Like, um, mm. I would assume that would give Nintendo confidence to... To, to you know take that to the next level so that's my last prediction matthew i'd like that to happen because then people can play it uh for the first time in 30 years and go oh yeah matthew's right the dungeons in this are pretty bad 
so yeah, that would be, it'd be nice to be vindicated by Nintendo. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah, your your Zelda list. Um, yeah, just uh, yeah, it would stand the test of time. Okay, good. Well, that's it, Matthew. We did the predictions. Was it good? Was that a good episode? I don't really know. I think we had some. Oh, I think it's all right. I think we covered. I think we covered some good ground. Like I was secretly thinking about what will make good f- discussions in pudding episodes. <laughs> um, and I think we've covered a lot of the trends. We'll be able to talk about E3 and subscription services and VR. Yeah. Um, it didn't get too businessy. Didn't get too harding tubby rolls. <laughs> so. <laughs> the, the Indiana Jones one is the one I'm like, I'm like the most certain that will happen for some reason. I just feel like, oh, I could just really see it happening. You know, like. I can, I, I, when I was thinking about it, the thing that came into my head is I, I can I can see a first person perspective holding that staff in the map room, yeah, yeah, putting it in, and the beam going down, and and just how many iconic sights to like be in his shoes or like pulling the gun and shooting the guy in the market. I was just like, oh, this is gonna be. You'd be mad not to put those moments in it, whatever it is. Yeah, and him uh, kind of going um, going evil in the around the racist tribe uh, <laughs> in uh, Templar Doom. I actually just wa- and chilled my kidneys. <laughs> oh God, I just watched that for the first time in like fifty years um it was rough but the other two fucking immortal <laughs> films aren't they like uh that's the first time i've seen last crusade in 15 years actually and uh yeah i've got a massive appetite for a good indiana jones oh, game yeah. so um but with, yeah. with but with aging harrison ford voice going snakes why did it have to be snakes <laughs> and you're like oh this is really not what i wanted <laughs> making lots of like pained old man noises as he goes oh 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 like uh, trying to <laughs> <laughs> escape bits and pieces. I'm excited about seeing a very well rendered uh, Alfred Molina as well uh, in a certain point in this game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. I think we're out. So, the podcast, what's coming up? Games Court next week. Best games of 2014 the week after that on the free feed. Um, and then very soon in the XL feed for Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash backpagepod. Rockstar Open World Games ranked. Um, and then at the end of the month on the XXL feed, some bullshit about comic books I'm going to bore Matthew with for two hours. That should be fun. Uh, Matt- Not at all. I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> you enjoying Batman Year One, Matthew? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I will say to people, actually, if you uh, just for Patreon people, if you do want to um, sort of like, you know, do a bit of reading ahead of that, I've got Matthew to read uh, The Fade Out um, by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips and Batman Year One. We're going to talk about those a bit. Uh, but Matthew, where can people find you on social media? At Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. Backpage pod if you want to follow the podcast. Samuel W. Roberts if you want to follow me. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.